Amen. Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you. Thank you so much, Billy, for that table. We sing some incredibly convicting songs around this place. I don't know about you, but that one we just sang is full of some lyrics that are just really hard to sing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if, if you're like me at all, but sometimes I just have to stop singing because I know that what I'm singing, uh, it, it's, just, it's just really hard. It's a powerful declaration, and maybe I haven't been living the life I need to be living the, the, the week prior, and I just have to stop and reflect because I, I can't sing in full honesty. We sing some songs that are super convicting. The one we just sang, You Alone I Long to Worship, I'm going to give you everything, Lord. Uh, I will trust you alone. I'm going to worship you with all my heart. Those are some powerful, powerful declarations that we just sang. So this week I went and I found some hymns. Hymn, Jeremy. Hymn is an older song that, you know, we sing. I found some hymns that have been renamed. And I invented some. These are some songs that you can sing that I can see with, sing without any tinge of conviction or guilt. You ready? These are, are, are old hymns that have been remade. Okay? So humor me, it's okay to, to laugh. Might step on your toes a little bit. First one, some to Jesus I surrender. Onward Christian spectators. Oh, how I like Jesus. Just as I pretend to be. I love to talk about telling the story. Sweet minute of prayer. You know the old song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. How about, Give Me My Own Way, Lord. I have decided to follow Jesus on Instagram. (laughs) And the last one, Standing on the Premises. Standing on the Promises, Standing on the Premises. Well, we do sing some songs around here that, are, that are, are difficult and are convicting. We sing some songs that speak to us what it costs, what it takes to do this thing we call the Christian life. What we're talking about today is nothing uh, new or crazy or radical. The sermon title is Following Jesus Revisited. What I'd like to do is, is look again at, at Jesus' command to his disciples to follow me. And what that meant for them and what it means for us still today when Jesus says to you and me, follow me. This is not a new conversation, but one that I think we've got to keep front and center. Because this is who we are. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. We we follow him. This is something that we do every day. We're not just uh, people that attend a gathering. We're not just people that come into a building. And sing some songs. We don't just attend church or a Bible class here and there. We follow Jesus. Maybe it's been a long time since some of us stopped and really reflected on what it means to be a Christian. What it means to follow Jesus. This is who we are. Because the truth is, for many of us, if we're we're willing to admit it, because of where we live, because of the, the culture in which we live, maybe the culture in which we were raised or the family we were born into, it becomes all too easy to go through the motions of being a Christian. Because it's so culturally acceptable to be a Christian, to identify as Christian, the meaning of what it really means to follow Jesus, I'm afraid, gets lost. 
And perhaps without even realizing it's happening, we may find ourselves blending in with the world around us. So I want to dive a little deeper today into what it means to really follow Jesus. Will you pray with me? Today, Lord, we pray for each person that will hear your word. For those who are not currently following you, for those who have never put their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask, Lord Jesus, today that you would draw them into you with a powerful invitation to seek you first, to seek you only. We pray that they would know that a full and abundant life not only awaits them in eternity with you, but that it is here now for the taking. We pray for those of us here this morning that have already put on Christ. Lord, we ask today that we would hear the words, follow me in a new way, in a fresh way, that cause us to make a richer and deeper commitment to following your Son, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray, in the power of the Spirit, the church prays, Amen. Well, if you want to get out your Bibles, I'd love for you to do that. We're going to be in Matthew quite a bit. We'll be all over the Word today, and the, the, the Scriptures will be on the screens behind me. We're going to read out of Matthew 4. This is the account of Jesus calling His first disciples. The Word says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. In Matthew 9, 9, the word says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up, and he followed him. I want you to note the urgency in Jesus' invitation this morning. As you read this account, you can see that the disciples obeyed immediately. At once, they got up, and they left everything behind to follow Jesus. How many of you know that true obedience only occurs when we obey immediately? We teach our children this. It was probably somebody in this church, because I don't believe we said this until we got to Montgomery about seven years ago, but this is what we tell our children all the time as it pertains to, to obedience. You obey when you do what we ask all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Meaning you, you, you don't do anything halfway, you, you do exactly what we've asked you to do, but you do it right away, you don't delay at all, and then you do so cheerfully with a happy heart. The first blank in your lifelines today is that delayed obedience is not obedience at all. How many of us put off following the commands of Jesus until doing so is a little bit more convenient? But I love the example that these first disciples set. They dropped everything at once, and immediately they went and followed Jesus. And here's the thing. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. Scripture doesn't record the, the questions that they asked. No questions asked. They just got up and they followed Him. But they had no idea what they were signing up for. They didn't know what would take place the next three years as they followed this Jesus character in the flesh during His earthly ministry. 
They didn't know what would ensue after Jesus ascended to heaven as they were tasked with establishing the church. They didn't know. See, when it comes to following Jesus, we don't set the terms. God sets the terms. When we put on Christ, we sign the contract, not knowing exactly what we're getting into. We surrender our right to know. We surrender our desire to know exactly what's coming down the road. We give Him absolute and complete control over what we do, over where we go, and over how we get there. We obey immediately. Our children sing in our, our, our kids' kingdom ministry, our children's ministry, they sing a song called Deep Cries Out that some of you, that some of you know. And there's a lyric in that song that, that, that puts it so well, so simply, so succinctly. If he goes to the left, if Christ goes to the left, then we go to the left. And if he goes to the right, then we go to the right. We're going to jump in the river. You've heard that song, and our kids have just been blasting that song all summer. I love it. But how many of you had parents, when you, when you were a child or a teenager, you wanted to do something, and you would inevitably say, well, well so-and-so is doing this, and so-and-so is doing this. Why can't I do this? But what did mom and dad say? If so-and-so jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? And you'd be like, well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to jump off a bridge. And your parents got you right there. Well, here's the thing. When we're following Jesus, if he jumps off the bridge, what are we going to do? We're going to jump off the bridge because that's what disciples do. We do what we see Jesus doing. We follow him as closely as possible. You know, perhaps before we can step into a life of more authentic discipleship, it might be a good idea to to define a little bit more sharply what discipleship is not. Because we've held in the church some some beliefs for a while about what following Jesus is. And I wanted to, to debunk a couple myths. These are two popular approaches to following Jesus among Christians today, and these are in your notes. The first one is theological rationalism. And this approach, uh, those that ad- adhere to this approach believe that, that, that Christianity is really just about having sound doctrine. It's about believing all the right things. As long as you believe all the right things, then then you're good. That's what it's about. And then the second approach would be theological ethics. Those that adhere to this approach would say, well, it doesn't matter so much what you believe. It's it's more about how you act, about how you behave. And so they would believe that, that being a Christian is about ethical and right behavior. As long as you adhere to the right moral principles and you're a good person, you're fine. I want to submit to you today that that both of those approaches are lacking. Neither of these approaches fully or sufficiently encompass what it really means to follow Jesus. That you can have sound doctrine and believe all the right things and model the correct ethical and moral behavior and still miss Christ. Jesus himself cannot be separated from his teachings or his virtues, but note the distinction between the invitation that Christ gives us and the invitation of other philosophers and religion founders. Aristotle and Socrates said, follow my teachings. Buddha said to his disciples, follow my meditations. 
Confucius said to his disciples, follow my sayings. And Muhammad to his followers, follow my noble pillars. But what does Christ say? He says, follow me. Follow me. In all other religions and philosophies of the world, followers can follow the teachings of its founder without having a relationship with that founder. But not so with Jesus. A quote from one of my favorite books entitled Jesus Manifesto by Lynn Sweet and Frank Viola puts it this way. Christianity centers not on points, principles, or propositions, but on a person and a people. So Christianity is not an allegiance to a complex doctrinal or ethical system, but a passionate love for a way of living in the world that's rooted in living by Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Our theologies, doctrines, and subjective experiences are designed to flow organically from our loving relationship to Christ, but they are never to substitute for it. So following Jesus is not mere Bible knowledge, as as wonderful as that is. Following Jesus is not about having uh, perfect attendance Sunday morning worship assemblies or Bible class or even participation in a small group as wonderful as those things are. Nor does living a a, a good and morally decent life alone make you a Christian. Again, I believe we can have the most sound doctrine in the world and the right beliefs and, and, and also the right behavior to be a good person but still miss the relationship with Christ. The invitation to truly follow the person of Jesus goes so much deeper than what American culture has made into cultural Christianity. So in our remaining time today, I want to discuss three key elemental truths that Scripture teaches about discipleship. The first is this. Following Jesus always comes at a cost. There's a hog and a hen that shared a barnyard, and they heard about a church's program to feed the hungry. And so the hog and the hen got together, discussing what it is, what it, what it was that maybe that they could do. And finally, the hen said, I've got it. To feed the hungry, we'll provide the church with bacon and eggs. Well, the hog thought about this for a little while, and he said, I've got a problem with your solution. Because for you, it just requires a contribution. But for me, it requires total commitment. When we get together and we talk about and we think about following Jesus, and we open up our Bibles, we see that following Jesus always comes with a cost. You remember the story of the rich young ruler. A well-meaning man... I would like to think really loved Jesus, comes to him and says, Teacher, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? And uh, A good question. And Jesus rattles off all these commands that this, this man says, I've known, I've known those for so long, and I, I've kept those my entire life. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. Until Jesus says, Well, one thing you lack. If you want to be perfect, then go and sell all your stuff and then come and follow me. And in one of the saddest, it has to be one of the saddest moments of Scripture, 
The Bible says that that man walked away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to make the sacrifice. He wasn't willing to encounter the cost of what it would take to really follow Jesus. In Luke 14, you know this passage, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And then Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, starting at verse 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his very soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We don't have time this morning to unpack each of those scriptures, but I read them to remind us that there is a cost to following Jesus. The story of the rich young ruler reveals that Jesus... Following Christ will always require us to give up all lesser would-be gods. And we cannot serve both God and money. For the rich young ruler, it was his material possessions, it was his wealth. For you or for me, it may be something else. Whatever threatens our complete and utter 100% surrender and devotion to Jesus, he'll ask us to get rid of that in order to follow him. There's a cost to following Christ, the calling of the first disciples, men who had secure livelihoods and family businesses to run. This story reveals to us that following Christ will cause us to sacrifice our comfort, our security, oftentimes our future, what we think it ought to be. Our dreams and our desires sometimes go by the wayside in order to follow Christ. Abundant life does not equate to a comfortable life. The calling of James and John, sons who left their father in the boat, may also suggest to us that following Christ may cost us some relationships. I don't know what the relationship was like between James and John and their father, Zebedee, after they got out of the boat and left him to conduct the business on his own. But what I do know is that If we want to follow Christ, it may mean that we have to sacrifice some relationships. It may mean that we have to cut ties, particularly with those who are hindering us from following Christ. You know, for years and years in youth ministry, I counseled teens who desperately wanted to follow Jesus, but they felt the tug and they felt the pull of friends that they had had since childhood who did not want the same thing, who had not made the same commitment, who had not put their faith in Christ. And so they felt pulled between two different desires and ultimately several decided to cut the ties here so that they could follow Jesus here and not that they stopped loving their friends 
But the word is clear that anything that hinders us from pursuing Christ, that we cast it off, the cost of following Jesus. The words, take up your cross, I'm reminded of a quote I heard by a priest named Daniel Berrigan. He said, if you are going to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. The way of following Christ was never meant to be easy. The words deny yourself. Discipleship means that we say goodbye to a self-centered life. Followers of Jesus recognize that they were bought at a price, that our lives are no longer our own. We belong to Jesus. So I ask you, Christian, what has following Jesus cost you? What have you said no to in order to follow Jesus? Is your life any different because of the sacrifices you have made to follow Christ? Number two, following Jesus always produces fruit. John 15, starting at verse 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This, he says, is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. We see the link between discipleship and us bearing fruit for the Father's glory. In our day and time, following somebody uh, is as simple as, as, as hitting a button on a social media site, right? And we follow people all the time. We acquire followers all the time via social media, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat. We, we follow people. It's a way to get a glimpse into their life if you're not familiar with social media. We can like things that other people post. We can quote people. We can retweet. We can interact. We can argue. But when it comes to Jesus, a lot of us like to retweet him. We like to quote Jesus. We like to post a picture of Jesus. The problem, church, is that we're not in the pictures ourselves. There's a difference between liking something Jesus posted, retweeting something that Jesus said that comforted you, or cheering Jesus, yeah, way to go, way to go, Lord, and actually being in the picture with Christ doing life alongside of him. There's a tremendous difference. Following Jesus from afar, following Jesus as a fan or a spectator, the problem with that is that it doesn't produce any fruit. In Acts 4 and 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. And I love what the word says next. And they, they, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The fruit of Peter and John's ministry was evidence that they had been with Christ. The fruit of their lives proved they were following Jesus. This wasn't just about them. Here's the hard truth. If there isn't any fruit coming from our being Christians, if our following Jesus isn't advancing the gospel if it's not making an eternally significant di difference 
in the lives of the people that God has put in our path, then are we really following Jesus? Or are we just a bunch of fans or spectators getting our Jesus fix here or there in order to make ourselves feel better or improve ourselves? See, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the gospel of self-help. They're not the same thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about Him. The question is, what difference has your following Jesus made in the lives of those God has put in your life? What difference does it make that you are a Christian today? What difference does it make in somebody else's life? If the answer is none, then we're likely just doing the Christian thing to improve ourselves. Or, or maybe we've made our faith too much of a private matter. Or perhaps simply it's because, well, everyone, everyone else around me identifies as Christian. It's just so easy to do here. It's just the culturally acceptable thing to do, especially in the buckle of the Bible belt. Following Jesus always produces fruit. Number three, following Jesus always advances the kingdom. As we documented, following Jesus isn't about us. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about kingdom advancement. It's not about our, our little earthly realms here and what we want to build up. It's about growing the kingdom of God, the, 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 the rule and the reign of God that He so graciously allows us to participate in and come alongside of Him in, in growing Discipleship advances the kingdom. It's not hoarded. Do you ever wonder why Jesus called disciples in the first place? He's God. What, do you, what does he need us for to accomplish his purposes? Couldn't he have just taken care of what he wanted to take care of on his own? The fact is that, that Jesus knew he wouldn't be here forever. That was never the plan. Following Jesus, discipleship is always about him and then passing on what we've received from him. So in following Christ, we, we testify to, to who he is and what he's done and what we still see him doing and what he's promised to do. And scripture says that we're witnesses now to the grace and the love and the mercy of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God and the justice of God. We, we witness to those things and in so doing, we advance the kingdom and it grows and it expands It is quite simply, as followers of Christ, what we do. It's so deeper. Just coming to church. This business of following Christ, advancing the kingdom, this business that we do, this, this shows up everywhere, right? So when I'm at work, when we're at work, we follow Jesus, we advance the kingdom. When I'm with my kids, when we're with our, our families, we advance the kingdom. When we return to school this week, we advance the kingdom. When we're on the, the, the playing fields, we advance the kingdom. When we're out with people and, uh, and, uh, over the weekend, choosing how we'll be entertained, we advance the kingdom. When we're out with people, we follow Jesus. When we're at home, all alone, nobody can see us. We follow Jesus. When I was in college, I went on this tremendous roller coaster ride. It's unbelievable. 
unlike anything that I will probably ever experience again. The roller coaster ride was my dating relationship with a girl named Crystal Beasley, who'd eventually become Crystal Coring. So for the course of three, three years or so, we were, we were on and off again t- together and, and, and broken up, and which was fine. We were, trying to, we were young. We were trying to figure out what we wanted. But over the course of those, those years, every now and then, we had to stop. We had to stop and, and get together and, and, and have a talk, right, to figure out, you know, where, where are we? Where, where are we going? What, what is this? And, and you guys know, uh, we, we called that the DTR talk. You know what DTR stands for? Define the relationship. You ever had a, a talk with somebody where you had to define a relationship? Well, we had lots of those talks. Ultimately, on June 14th of 2003, we defined the relationship. You know, I, I stood up in front of a lot of people and I told her that I would love her the rest of my days. That I would never leave her. I would never forsake her. No matter how good it was, no matter how bad it was, that we would always be together. That I would always love and cherish her. That outside of Jesus Christ, there would not be any person in my life more important. Define that relationship. Folks, today is the day to define the relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never stopped long enough to, 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 to think about doing that if you never defined your relationship with with Jesus Christ specifically pointedly today is going to be the day to do that the apostle Paul put it so beautifully so simply when he defined his relationship with Jesus he said it in Philippians he said you know what for me Paul says to live is Christ for me to live is, is Christ He's, he's the beginning. He's the end. It is all wrapped up in Him. And I'm not for anything else outside of Jesus Christ. I, I love that. But you know what? Jesus Christ Himself has defined the relationship for us. He has let us know how significant, how precious we are to Him. He did it on a cross. He defined the relationship. He said, you are worth dying for. All of you. You're worth taking on the sins of all humanity for all time. He has defined the relationship. Imagine, church, with me, what this, this body would look like, what the church worldwide would look like if we really got serious about following Christ. If He alone was our pursuit, if He alone was the greatest adventure that we could imagine, if we took John 10, 10 literally and knew that abundant life is found in Christ alone, we got caught up in the business of kingdom advancement. Imagine what the Spirit might do. I love the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. Nathan referenced it in his prayer earlier. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. You know, I don't give the invitation this morning. Jesus gives the invitation this morning. To all of you, whether you've 
followed Jesus your whole life, or you've never even come inside the doors of a church building, you come today, you come seeking something. If you seek peace, know this morning that Jesus Himself is peace. If you seek wisdom, His name is Jesus. If you seek the truth, Jesus is the truth. He's the way. He's the life. If you seek the power of God, Jesus is the embodiment of the power of God. If you seek the absolute best life, the life that makes the most sense, not just for eternity, but for the here and now, Jesus' offer of abundant life is worth fully embracing. Take it on. So these songs we sing, we don't want them to be empty words or promises. We want these to be powerful declarations of a people, of a body that have said, I'm going to be all in. This is my life. To live is Christ. I will worship with all my heart. I will praise you with all of my strength. I will seek you all of my days, and I will follow all of your ways. Whatever your need is this morning, we've got space on the front row. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love for this to be the day where you take a stand and you define your relationship with the one who loves you more than you could ever imagine. The day where you say, I'm following you. I don't know where we're going, but I'm with you. I'm with you, Jesus. If you'd like to do that today, we want to invite you to come as we stand and worship.